teachers. And one of the reasons that it's so important that we as believers be well-grounded in our faith is because there are those who have deceptive messages, often built in half-truths, and upon made-up stories. And we can say, you know, clearly that's the cults, that are those who, who, who don't embrace uh, the basic elements of the faith, but even within the church, we have to be aware of false teachers. But verse 3 gave us some assurance that God is going to ultimately hold these false teachers accountable. We just need to be aware that they are out there. They are uh, predators, really, who have something to gain by teaching a false message. Now, verse 4 builds on this. So if you're there in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, we're going to read the text. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, verse 8, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Verse 9, if this, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. So even angels wouldn't dare make accusations against the fallen angels and yet we have the nerve um, to use them in ways for entertainment and in ways that mock them and such. Fallen angels. But that's not where I want to go. First thing I want you to notice here is that there is a massive run-on sentence. I don't know if you caught it or not, but if you look closely at your Bibles, you'll see that most of your versions will have a period finally after the end of verse 9. Okay, notice that. If you have the English Standard Version, the English Standard Version gets it most accurate in that it doesn't give us a period until the end of verse 10. Well, I suppose that makes Peter a really good preacher. <laughs> you know, he's a guy that can take a sentence and turn it into a paragraph, right? <laughs> in fact, one of my best mentors, you might know Jack Hayford, uh, Many of us believe that he could write an entire 200-page book and only use one paragraph. <laughs> He's a good preacher, right? A lady was visiting a church one Sunday, and the sermon just went on and on, so, so much so that uh, she observed people started falling asleep. Well, finally, at the end of, of church, she extended her hand to a guy who was sitting next to her, and she said, hello, my name is Gladys Dunn. 
And the fellow graciously responded, and he said, you're not the only one, lady. I'm glad it's done, too. <laughs> but there is a method to Peter's long sentence here, and I need you to see it, because he's using an if-and-then argument to make his case. And again, the English Standard Version gets it right here, in that verses 4 through 8, begin with the word if, and then verse 9 begins with the word then. And maybe you're observing it right there. Saying, if this is how God did things in the past, then you better be sure that this is how God is going to do things in the future. So that's what's going on here. Now at first glance, you might get the impression that this is a passage that's solely about God's judgment. It just seems to sound, or speak loud, a shout um, at you, that this is a passage of judgment. But I need you to look again right here and, and see it a little more closely, because when God used a great flood to bring judgment against the earth, yeah, there were many who perished in the flood, but you need to also notice that he provided a way of escape for Noah, for Noah's family, and for anyone else who would listen. God provided an ark. If you look again there, when God used balls of fire to, to rain down the storm of, of judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, he provided for Lot and his family and anyone else who would listen a way of escape. God provided a way out. You can find this throughout the scripture, this two-fold point, uh, two point resounds for us in verse 9, and I need you to see that in verse 9. Very important today that you hear this, where it says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You can read that, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from tribulation. Does anybody like that? Okay? I really like the fact that the church is in heaven worshiping God in Revelation chapter 5, and it's not until the church and the Holy Spirit have been pulled off of the earth that chapter 6 through 16 happens, which is horrific. Okay? Now don't get me going there. Uh, whether I didn't say I was pre-trib in making that statement. I just said, before the great Judgment begins to fall in Revelation because things are going to happen with greater intensity and frequency. The church isn't there. There's to me. Okay, you'll have to ask me about the other part of that later because I'm not going to get into it today. Something to think about, right? Yeah, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Praise God. Amen. Yes. And to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. I need you to see that this is good news as much as it's bad news. We live in a day, and Dollar tried hard for the songs to express this today. We live in a day when God is providing, extending, offering grace to anyone who will receive it. And friends, that is really good news. But you also need to see there are warning signs. There, there are warning signs that are happening among us and around us, and they're happening with greater intensity, greater frequency, 
And they are reminding us to be ready. To get ready because we are living in the last days. God is coming. Judgment is coming. But God has provided a way for us to prepare for that coming judgment. Jesus Christ. Jesus is our ark. He's our way out of the coming flood. And you might want to say, Pastor Mike, God's not going to flood the earth anymore. Well, you have to understand, this is by way of analogy. There is a real flood coming. The, the, the plea here is for all who will hear to get on board our ark. Jesus Christ, right? Then Jesus is our way out of the fiery judgments that are about to fall. The question is, are you on the right so this is a passage that's as much about God's rescue as it's about, about God's judgment. People, get ready. There's a train coming. Just leave all your baggage and get on board. All you need is faith and hear the diesels humming. Christ is your ticket. So get on board. It's God's grace. That's what's happening. And I realize in teaching a, a passage like this that, that it will cause some of us to rejoice. It will cause others of us to cringe, to get defensive, so forth and so on. And the truth is that whether God appears to you as a kind, loving father or as a wrathful judge depends on where you stand with him. It depends on your relationship with him. But as your pastor, to be honest, I need to tell you, these are the two sides of God. We all need to recognize. In fact, the scripture describes it this way. I just want you to have the reference. This is from Romans chapter 11, 22. But just expressing it here, God calls us to consider the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell. Now, who is that? It's all of us. We all fell, and so we're all living under this sternness. What's wrong with life? It's not playing out with the happily ever afters that I so, so loved in the Cinderella story. What's with this? Well, we fell. We're living under stress, but read on! But kindness to those who learn to walk in his kindness. So the question is, are you walking in God's kindness, or are you still going along, doing your own independent thing, trying to do life apart from Him? So last week, we talked about the reality that there are those in church who love to talk about love each other, love unity, so forth and so on, while others love to talk about loving truth. Which is it? And do we really have to decide but we saw last week how we need both. Truth without love is brutality, while love without truth is hypocrisy. To lean one way or the other is to hold a half-truth, which ultimately is about holding on to a lie. In God's kingdom, truth and love are working together. We need to be embracing both, loving both. God is truth. God is love. We need to, to embrace the two sides of God. Well, today we're seeing these two sides of God from a, a slightly different angle. God is both compassion, awesome, I like that, 
God is judge. Yes, he's all loving, but he is also the righteous standard. He's the plumb line, okay? And we will be measured against God, and you can imagine where we stand in that situation. He must do justly. Do you hear that? God must do justly. It's in keeping with his character. But if you want to know what God really loves, he loves extending mercy. God does justly. What he loves is extending mercy. Very, very important. However, <laughs> if we reject the terms of his mercy, then there's nothing left for us except to accept the terms of his justice. Leonardo da Vinci got it right in describing these sides of love and justice when he said this, he who does not punish evil commands that it be done. All right, so why talk about judgment? I mean, come on, you can go turn on, I better watch the name I say here, on your TV, and you can hear a oh happy day message that will just give you enough fire to get you through the next 10 minutes. Or you can hear the word of God and what it's saying. So why talk about judgment? Well, first of all, it's biblical. I mean, there's no denying that it's right here in 2 Peter. You cannot read very far in the scriptures without recognizing just how prominent it really is. As your pastor, I'm accountable to you. I'm accountable to God to teach the full counsel of God. I cannot do otherwise. To do less would be for me to be a false teacher. I wouldn't be faithful to my calling if I didn't honor all the scriptures and all the matters that it wants us to understand. Noah was a preacher in his, in his generation. His message of good news was the ark. The ark was the picture of God's love. There's a flood coming. The flood is God's just penalty. He has the right to determine the penalty. Here's your way out. Here's your way of escape. It's provided, but people mocked the boat. They rejected God's plan of love. And so what's left? But to be subject to God's justice. Lot. Lot was a preacher in his generation. And while we can study his life, and we can study Noah's life, and we can say, man, they're both whacked out and messed up people. Lot had a faith in God in the midst of a godless culture. He was a picture of God's love. So then these two angels arrive. The two angels come to show the way out. Lot embraced it. Lot was able to recognize what, what was going on with this fellow man. They were wanting to exploit the angels. And that's all I'll tell you. Go read it. See what was going on right there. See, Lot recognized God's love, and therefore Lot received God's blessing. The people of Lot's day rejected God's love. They mocked it. And what was left for them but to experience God's penalty. So whether this sounds sweet to you or sour to you, it depends on your relationship with God. I am not here to talk to you about some form of religion. But I'm talking to you about a growing relationship with the living God, growing to understand who he is, understanding and embracing what he's about and what he has said, and getting past your own image of some created thing, 
that you're comfortable with and seeing him for who he is. But for me to stand up here and to hammer God's judgment without equally talking about God's mercy is to miss the point. Um, for me to acknowledge his mercy without being honest with you about his very real coming judgment is not full disclosure. These are the two edges of a double-edged sword. These are the two edges of who God is. Now listen to this scripture. So beautifully expresses it. This is Hebrews 9, starting in verse 27. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because now it will have been dealt with, we talked about that, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Where are you? Are you waiting for the Lord's coming? Are you waiting for it? We have to talk about judgment because it's biblical. But there's a second reason that we need to talk about judgment, and that is because, frankly, people need to know. People need to know. I thank God for, for bold preachers that I was exposed to early on in my walk with Christ. And one of the passages that God allowed to allow me to fully understand and fully embrace, well, fully, that's an interesting word, but just to, to, to understand enough as, as a, a pattern of what I'm to be about is over in Ezekiel chapter 33, where there are talks about a watchman. And, and the watchman is actually a picture of people who, who serve in positions like mine. But also, it's, it's for any believer who understands what God is about and what God will do. So we're all responsible here. And what it says, essentially, is that if we see the judgment of God coming, then it's our responsibility to sound the alarm. If we're faithful to proclaim God's love, warning people of his coming judgment, and helping them to understand what they need to do to get ready, we have done our job completely. If anyone fails to receive God's love and hear the call as far as what to do to get ready, and rejects that, then their blood will be on their own heads. But there's a flip side to this. If I as a watchman see the coming judgment of God, but I fail to demonstrate God's love by sounding the alarm, not only will there be a chance that someone won't be properly prepared, but God goes so far as to say, their blood will be on my head. So I happened to be uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time the other day, and um, just, just had a chance to eavesdrop on a conversation. I wish I hadn't been there. There was actually two clergy types. <laughs> and, and they were talking about how they are so confident that we all win in the end, that really no one is lost in the end, because all roads eventually lead to Jesus. 
Therefore, eventually everybody's going to be saved. Isn't that sweet? I wish I could preach that message. I mean, it just sounds so good. But what I don't understand is how can people in such positions and with such understanding tell people such things? And, and here are a couple of statements that resound in my mind, and I need you to hear them. How does ignoring God's justice magnify God's love? Are we ashamed of who God is? Oh, do we apologize for God? How does ignoring God's justice magnify his love? Would these clergy types say that to those who are lost in the flood? Would those clergy types say that to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? It seems to me, and here's the next statement that I just have to put here, it seems to me that there is no greater cruelty than to fail to give warning to those who are in the path of danger. Yeah. And we're just as cruel if we choose to remain silent. God's love is best seen in his Willingness to pardon. So uh, I'm thinking about this, and I was reminded of, uh, of a news story a few years ago. I think it was the Box Canyon fire near here, and uh, there was a guy who had built the perfect fireproof house. Yeah, and he was so confident in the fortress that he had built that he just kind of scoffed when a fire, forest fire broke out near his home. Consequently, he failed to heed the warnings of the impending danger. The reality is steel melts when it gets so hot, stucco begins to break down. And by him choosing to stay secure in his vulnerable house, he not only put himself at risk, he put firefighters at risk, and his failure to prepare also caused him to lose Anything he could have saved of value and anything he could have saved of necessity. And sadly, that's the way it was in the people of Noah's day. They mocked Noah for building such a big boat, could have been any boat for that matter, so far from any kind of water source. Besides, Noah, if it starts to rain, we can swim, we can get to a, to a higher place, we'll be all right. Sadly, the people of Sodom thought they too were fireproof. So we talk about God's judgment because it's biblical. We talk about God's judgment because people need to know. And friends, even though we live in dark times, people are still coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Would we dare blow the whistle too soon to cause any to be lost? I was so excited just to hear a story of a daughter-in-law, young, young Mary, who noticed, recognized incredible peace in the family of her in-laws. And she asked her mother-in-law, she said, where does this come from? I never saw such peace growing up. And her mother-in-law told her the good news of Jesus Christ. The daughter-in-law recognized her need for a savior. She called out the name of the Lord, and she was saved. 
<laughs> light shines best in the midst of darkness. And friends, we can be light in this mess. Or we can just be like everybody else and brag about the stuff that's going on. People are still coming to faith. And that's really good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for patience with us. Not wanting anybody to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. Amen? That is good. Yeah. Well, there's a third reason that we need to talk about judgment. And believe it or not, it's encouraging. <laughs> it really is. It really is. For those who have hope, it's encouraging. Just notice a couple of things. In verse 8, it says that Lot was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. So right there, I mean, to be politically correct, I mean, golly, he's not being very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I'm just seeing the word. He's not being very tall, is he? Uh, simply because he's distressed. But he doesn't say he judged them. That's not what this is talking about. It says it wore him out. It says it made him sick. It said he was literally tortured by the choices he was seeing people making and how it was affecting their lives. So what about you? Do you ever feel sickened by what you see going on in the world around you? Do you ever feel worn down by what's happening, even to the point that you don't want to get out and cast your ballot anymore, you know, sort of thing? Well, you're not alone. Lot lived exactly where you do. And he wants you to be encouraged because that very next verse, we've already heard it, we need to hear it again. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He did it for Lot, and he will do it for you. I don't know how it's all going to play out. I mean, I have my ideas. I have my thoughts. My friends, thoughts, but things aren't looking good. I, I don't know if I have a whole lot of hope for the 2016 presidential election. My best hope is that we can get somebody in here who will choose the right Supreme Court justices so that we don't end up with lawless people just letting rogue and doing their own thing. But I do know how this story ends, and I do know who... Getting excited again. And I do know. who sits in the presidential chair, ultimately. And I like it, because I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then somebody sees this word godly. Oh my goodness. The, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. You know, there's going to be at least three responses to the word godly. One of them is going to be spiritual pride. <laughs> That's me. I'm so glad I'm in the club. I don't know what's the matter with everybody else. Why can't you see it? I mean, you know, I, I wonder if pastor just let it break his heart. Why doesn't everybody embrace this thing? Well, you can read throughout scripture. That just isn't the way it works. And we can sit in our pious, self-righteous throne and think, man, I'm in. To hell with everybody else. That's what I said. I did say that. But that's spiritual pride, you see, right? Then the second response is anger. Oh, there you go again, you Christians. Just a bunch of self-righteous, put your word in there, bigots, hypocrites, 
You think you're better than everybody else, and the reality is the world would be so much better without you. And friends, that's going to be the spirit of the Antichrist that's going to rise up right there. The world will be so much better without you, and it's going to come from these churches that are walking away from the truth. You better believe it as much as walking away from the world. I mean, just as Hitler raised his little cross thinking he was defending Christ, right? It's going to come the same way. Persecution of God's people, the Jews, awful people that don't belong in the Middle East, Christian believers, the world will be better off without you. That word is going to stir some in but there's a third response, and that third response is humility. Humility. Humility recognizes I have sinned, and what I have come to me is God's justice. Humility recognizes that. Humility knows that Noah was a failed man. Humility knows that Lot was a failed man. And just like Noah and Lot, I am far from perfect. I don't need to impress God. What I need from God is his mercy. Godliness has nothing to do with how good I am. It has nothing to do with one person being better than another person, but godliness does have everything to do with how good God is. In fact, we already saw a beautiful picture of what that is a moment ago when I was pointing you toward Romans 11.9, where it says, God is both kind and stern. He's stern to those who have fallen away. Who's that? All of us. Life is hard. Right? But thank God it doesn't end there. But kind to those who learn to walk in his kindness. You feel like you're walking in God's sternness sometimes? Are you learning to walk in God's kindness? I've got to give you a picture of what God's kindness looks like. Why should I try to paint it any more beautifully than Scripture? Listen to this, 1 John 4, verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your grace. Yeah. So godliness is nothing more than learning to walk in God's kindness, which is really about faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he is our ark. Jesus Christ, he is our way out. Are you on board? Are you on the path? Or are you mocking the whole thing? Are you just kind of putting it all off a little bit? Are you still comparing yourself to everybody else and think you're still kind of making the grade? Please hear this. If there were any other way for you to be prepared to meet such a holy, loving God, then God our Father would have never have stepped off his throne, allowed himself to be subjected to the abuses of his own creation, mankind, and suffer a brutal death on the cross. 
There is no other way. God has made a way. I can, I can swim. I can get to a high place. Oh, but what about everybody else? You know, there. Go ahead. Keep arguing. I've come to a place and say, I need you. I need you. I need you. Would you please pray this prayer? Father, what is it that you want to me to hear from this sermon today? Amen. You got a place that you're willing to say, yeah. Okay. I need to 